0: Hello there, I'm Patrick Stroth, President of Rubicon M&A Insurance Services. Welcome to M&A Masters, where I speak with the leading experts in mergers and acquisitions. And we're all about one thing here, that's a clean exit for owners, founders, and their investors. Today I'm joined by Suzanne Yoon, Founder and Managing Partner of Kinsey Capital Partners, a private equity firm based in Chicago. Mergers and Acquisitions Magazine named Suzanne to the 2020 Most Influential Women in Mid-Market M&A. She's been recognized by the Wall Street Journal as a top female deal maker shaping private equity's present and future. And just last week, Suzanne's firm, Kinsey Capital Partners, was honored by Private Equity Women's Investor Network, Pwin, as the North American female-founded firm of the year for 2020. Suzanne, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you very much, Patrick, uh, for having me today. It's uh, always really fun to be able to
0: tell our story. I got to say, you're probably going to be the only guest, and this is a rarity, but probably the only guest that doesn't want 2020 to end. Congratulations on all the accolades. I think that's uh, <laughs> a hell of a great work.
1: Um, I do want the coronavirus to end. <laughs> I will say that. Um... I I think it's been, it's obviously been a very challenging year for um, anyone who's been in investment business, um, particularly if we have uh, ownership and fiduciary responsibilities to, you know, as to our, not only our investors, but um, the companies and our employees and their safety. I'm not confident that will all happen in 2020. So in a lot of ways, I'm, I am kind of looking forward to 2020 being
0: over so that we can move on. Suzanne, before we get into Kinsey Capital Partners, let's set the table, and why don't you tell us about yourself and how you got to this point in your career?
1: I'll start with, so I am the daughter of Korean immigrants, and they really came here with nothing. Um, I was very fortunate to uh, have parents who both um, loved what they did and were very entrepreneurial, um, and we're extremely focused on um, our education. And I was reminded every day that we had to work really hard. And so um, one thing I, 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 when I was coming out of school, I really was interested in the you know, financial sector. And um, probably initially because I was just wanted to be, um, I, I'd been surrounded by uh, my family. My parents were both in the medical field. And um, but I had a lot of friends whose parents were in business, right? investment banking, CEOs of companies, and I was really interested in what they did. So I graduated from school and I went to go. Uh, I went to work for a large bank, um, Avian Amro, and uh, and then LaSalle Bank, which is headquartered um, here in Chicago, and uh, with a, a big global presence, went through their analyst training program. Um, worked on, um, in, I would say, senior and debt financings for middle market companies initially and then large global companies as well. Ended up in a group called Special Assets through my rotational program at the bank. Special Assets at the time um, was also a place where they, uh, when, when banks were able to do this, so in the, in the mid-90s, where they held off-balance sheet private equity positions. So debt that had been converted to equity, and uh, now the bank was managing that. So that was my first taste of really what it meant to um, be, you know, the fiduciary responsibility um, of being an owner, you know, of of a of a security or an equity security. And so from there, um, I worked on a lot of different types of companies, very large um, restructurings and in bankruptcies, and really what we saw there was what happens when things go wrong. Yeah. Um, and it was a great, great learning experience for me, particularly as I was, you know, I was, I was very young and um, had an opportunity to work directly with senior uh, credit officers of the bank at the time. Having long-term capital and having control over where your capital is coming from and not relying on the public markets was really important to me. Um, and so that was my entree into private equity, mm-hmm. where we had more long uh, long term commitments from from our investors, and you know we could have, have the time and the flexibility needed, you know, to work work our way through issues if we ever came you know came to them. So that's really what started my private equity, um, you know, my my pure focus on private equity. And then from there, um, I was with an East Coast-based private equity firm. I worked with incredibly talented and smart people. Um, my former colleagues and partners, um, I have the utmost respect for them. but I am uh, from Chicago, and I, during my time at the firm, moved back to Chicago. I was the only managing director outside of the East Coast. And I was traveling quite a bit. And so that was a factor for me was really thinking about where I wanted my roots to be. And um, being a mother, I'm also a mother of three boys. And I, I felt that I had one foot in Chicago, one foot in the East Coast, and I couldn't really be in both places at once all the time. And so that was that was a factor in, in terms of thinking about where I wanted to be. So I knew I wanted to be back in Chicago eventually, um, and with a team in Chicago. This is where you know you make your own luck in some ways. Um, but I, on the investment side, I thought I was running into a lot of I was seeing a lot of opportunities in the lower middle market, so sub fifteen million of EBITDA, that. Um, out of Chicago and the Midwest and really throughout the country that were really interesting opportunities, but required a lot of operational improvements or help because they were either going through some type of generational change or transition. And frankly, they were just too small for my previous organization. And so I had an opportunity to partner with my current partner today, who is the founder and, and owner of a 150 um, person plus technology and management consulting firm and um, and, and really leverage them. Uh, it's called Clarity Partners, but leverage Clarity Partners and their resources to be able to provide operational expertise to these lower middle market companies that were going through transition. So that was really the start of Kinsey. It was based on an investment thesis around taking companies that were necessary for the economy, had maybe um, had some aging on them with regards to operations and technology, and um, going through some type of transition, usually we are the first time institutional investor into a company. And being able to you know, handhold and, and through governance and technology initiatives, create more efficiencies, and then also make sure that the infrastructure is in place to really take a company to the next step and think about growing, right like really growing. Um, and so that was really our thesis and 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 that's how you know Kinsey was started. My goals of being in Chicago, being part of the community where my family is, and then also, Establishing a firm that was thinking about the future, right, and how to actually maximize and accelerate value through operational improvements, specifically around technology, and be being able to bring technological expertise that would normally be reserved for much larger companies to lower middle market companies was very important to me. So that was that was how you know Kinsey got started, and I think we've been. Um, really focused on that since since we started.
0: Well, what's real striking about your past and what led you to hear is that you came from a culture of coming into troubled circumstances and you avoided human nature, probably because you were coming in from the outside, but you're coming in where there are problems. And instead of pointing fingers and bemoaning what led you to the problems, you're coming and saying, right Okay, how are we going to get out of this? What steps are we going to take to, to do to fix it? And that is consistent throughout your entire career. So I could see that where maybe you don't have problems. You're just not, not at the next level. And so that's the, the okay. to come in with. Kinsey Capital Partners. Now, as we as we think about it, the one thing is different between private equity and law firms and insurance firms out there is they're boring because they pretty much just name their firms after themselves. Okay. Um, <laughs> think about it. And, you know, you can always get a little insight into a firm. Uh, if you found out, you know, how they come up with the name. So tell me about, you know, the origin of the name and then tell me about your commitment to the lower middle market you just mentioned, because I think that's, I agree with you. It is a really underserved, vast opportunity out there.
1: Um, so, Speaking of naming the company, I I thought Yoon Capital Partners would just not resonate well with, frankly, um, a market that is dominated by white men, and um, even our right the the CEOs, the sellers, um, everyone. I mean, and I I actually I'm, I'm teasing about that, but I I just. I did, somebody did, people ask me that all the time, like, oh, you didn't name it after yourselves, and we joke that um, my partner and I, I'm like, well, we're both like immigrant kids, and, you know, we got teased a lot about our last names, right, and are even um, growing up, so why would we name our firm? <laughs> we don't want people to tease us, you know, continue to tease us, because we were always a little bit on the outside, um, and so um, with that said, I I I'm also not a big what I really wanted was to build a firm and I still want this that is going to outlast me. And so I never thought naming a firm after me, because then it's all about me, right? Or our, our names was the right thing, particularly because private equity is really a team yes. effort. And um and I, I use a lot of sports analogies. So um even within the team um but I, I'm the coach. Like I think about myself as more the coach and the strategist, but everyone has a really important role, like down to our, you know, our assistants. And I mean, everybody here, because we have to manage people. And uh, so Kinsey is a street in Chicago and uh, the street was named after, um, so there's a, I'm sorry, it's a, it's actually a bridge in Chicago and it's, it's one of the most famous bridges in Chicago. So it was the first bridge that was ever built over the Chicago River, which is a really, you know, a main thoroughfare um, in Chicago. And if you, the the view of, it's an iconic view. It's one of my favorite views of the city, but if you stand on the Kinzie Bridge, the original bridge was never torn down because it's, it's now considered historic. So you, can, you see the original bridge that was built and this ever-changing landscape of you know buildings. And it's even very different. The view from the bridge today looking into downtown Chicago is completely different than it was three years ago. And so to me, that was very representative. And, and even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I mean, it's just very different if we saw the evolution of, of what, that, what the skyline looks like from that bridge. And to me, that was just the evolution of also thinking about keeping in mind the old and preserving and respecting, right? Um, I think what is beautiful about tradition and, and some of the old things, but also keeping in mind that we are living in an evolving world. and. Um, having to, having to keep that in mind. So I, it's, you know, it's very personal to me. It's Chicago, right? Everybody in Chicago knows they always ask like, Oh, were you on Kinsey street? I'm like, actually, I think I was when I first started thinking about this name, but that was that, you know, but everyone outside of Chicago is like, what is Kinsey? And is it a person's name? Is it, but it's a bridge. So that's, that's the story. It's a bridge in Chicago.
0: So this is an homage to your Chicago roots. It is. It while is an homage looking, to it. While still looking forward. So you're not stuck in the past. You're looking forward for the evolution. That's that's very, very clever. Well done. With the uh, lower middle market, and you mentioned this earlier, where you like to roll up your sleeves and get your hands on, on that. Tell me a little about about that, where, where you see your role with the lower middle market. Because as I mentioned before, I think this is a huge underserved market and is ideal because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of these organizations, they don't know where to turn for help. And if they go to the big institutions, you know, they're going to get underserved and they're going to get overcharged and they're going to get overlooked. And, you know, here you guys are firms like yours that are, you know, at the ready with all the resources of the larger firms, you know, scaled down that can deliver these great solutions. So, Tell me why you picked that as opposed to larger, larger uh, opportunities.
1: So you just, um, you, act, Patrick. I mean, like, do I have to repeat what you just said? Because that's exactly why I, I went into the um, why I like the lower middle market. I think there's just a lot of opportunity to take all of the skills um, that you know I've learned over my 20 plus years of investing and working with different types of companies. Um, much larger companies than the ones that we're investing in, and then also having the resources to be able to bring to those companies and make very significant moves um, that these companies would historically not been able to make because they don't know how to get to the resources that they need. And so, I mean, I would say that's that's probably the biggest factor for me. Is um, it's very gratifying to work with a management team or, you know, a prior seller, right, that has partnered with us and bring our expertise to the table and really partner with them um, to think about the future and execute on a vision, a, a, a joint vision. And a lot of times the people that we're talking to or that we're meeting with in the companies that we get excited about, there is a vision Mm -hmm. already in place. They just don't know how to execute it. So the idea is there. And so that's really how I see, you know, our job, you know, is to make sure that one, you know, if we have a collective vision that we make sure that we execute on that vision.
0: Well, let's get into what's really unique about you and Kinsey. And that's the Kinsey formula. And I'm going to give my observation on this and it's, you know, I, am not saying this to flatter you or anything. It's just what struck me about it is the term is a formula. Okay. It's, you know, a lot of organizations, they'll have a process or they'll have a system or a model and those may or may not work. I love the subconscious feel of a formula. A formula is literal. It's reliable. It's repeatable. And it, it's just a great sense of comfort that you're coming in with a formula and we'll have it in our show notes and it's on your website, but explain the formula and, and how, how it works, where you guys came up with it and, and how that's pretty much your core right now.
1: Thank you. I, we take a lot of pride in the formula because we spent time um, really thinking about how could we articulate best in a formula what our investment philosophy is and why we think that we are going to be the best fit for the companies that we choose, right? And, and vice versa. And um, we really thought hard and, and, and our formula is just this for the, for, you know, the listeners out there who, who, who don't know our formula it's accelerated value equals the function is a function of capital plus operations compounded by technology. So, what does that mean, right? It, it just means our goal as investors is outsized returns, alpha. And how do you get to outsized returns and alpha? Is we have to accelerate the value, prop, you know, the valuation of that company. And the way to do it is to make sure you have the right capital structure in place. And that you you know, and add in operational excellence, and we think the compounding that you have that those two things in place, and you add technology to compound the effects of good capital and great operations.
0: And very that's contrary, it. yeah. Very contrary to the cynical view of private equity, which they don't have a formula. It's just minus. Okay, we're gonna cut, cut, <laughs> cut, 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 cut until we're we're adding value by cutting.
1: You know, sometimes that is part of the operational excellence portion, right? Is that you do have to upgrade talent. Sometimes you have two, uh, in, in especially in um, fam- long time family owned companies, um, there is a lot of, there could be, you know, dead weight that, that and it's not good for the culture. Yeah. It's not good for a culture to have people who are underperforming and everyone knows that they're underperforming. So um, I agree that uh, private equity has this reputation for cutting, but I think a lot of times there's a good reason why that cutting is happening. It's not just because of costs; it's because there's fat. And, um, or you need to replace certain area, you know, certain, certain areas with other people Or and, and, and every company is as good as their people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So unfortunately, I know that there is this, it's unfortunate that private equity has that reputation um, because it, we do it a lot. I mean, and I say we, because I include myself. Um, it's, we, um, we certainly have done that in, in, you know, in acquisitions, but we also add people. If you wanna grow, you also have to have the right people and sometimes a lot more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I hope that, if, I think if you look at private equity as a whole, the net add of jobs is is probably much higher than than the cutting that we all hear about.
0: Well, you can you actually save save companies because if they don't change and if they don't adapt, they've got their their lifetime is finite and they could be gone, and then everybody's gone.
1: Exa- exactly.
0: And then and then as as you talk with in the Midwest and and where you're probably investing, you know these are companies that could be the lifeline for the community. And so if the company goes, community goes with it. So, I mean, there, there are some very, very important roles there. Suzanne, give us a quick case study. Give me an example of where you've come in on an opportunity and, and just where, where the formula came in and magic happened.
1: Oh, I actually have one more recently. Um, so we have, a, uh, we have a portfolio company called Colony Display, 37-year-old company. Started by two found, you know, the two sellers were actually the founders. One of the founders' sons had taken over as um, essentially the chief operating officer, and then the CEO. And and he grew up in the business. The business had been run the uh, a certain way. The knowledge is incredible, and this was a company that the customers love them because they are so service oriented. So when we look at a company, I thought, you know, their product was excellent and a lot of customer concentration, um, but there were no strong financial controls Mm. at the company. So we had to make some changes um, within the financial team and um, improve, you know, financial controls. Again, family, it, it was, It was started 37 years ago. So the infrastructure wasn't at the place, like the, uh, I would say management and executive infrastructure wasn't at the place that it it needed to be in order for the company to continue to grow. So um, we added, uh, we hired a new CFO, new controller, a um, head of HR, which never existed at the company prior. Despite yeah. the fact that they employ um, anywhere between two hundred and fifty to uh, to a thousand people a year, to across three different manufacturing uh, plants and some assemb- like a uh, uh, manufacturing and assembly plants, you know we made some pretty significant investments into uh, the systems, mm-hmm. communications, new websites, and um, we, you know. Partly through increased sales, so the production has uh, improved significantly through some operational improvements we've done, but also with the new people hiring. And then, I'm sorry, there was also another uh, head of engineering that we brought in. And the company will, um, you know, double its EBITDA in a very short period of time through pricing, you know, discipline Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, production discipline. And um, now I feel the company is in really good shape to continue to grow on the top line. And they could support that um, with the right infrastructure, right? And human capital and an actual infrastructure. So a lot of work within you know, the first six months and continues to be a lot of work. We haven't quite owned it for a year yet. Um, and we're north of double EBITDA already. And so that's a great... It's really fun when <laughs> all the work you do, right, um, uh, actually shows up on the bottom line.
0: So, for anybody that's considering uh, a, a transition, they really need to talk to you. I know you're not going to guarantee <laughs> doubling EBITDA in six months, but that is very, very impressive. Well, well Thank done. Thank you. So, uh, tell me and again one of the elements uh, that's in mergers and acquisitions that's come along and is now available for the lower middle market companies is rep and warranty insurance. It used to be a product available for $100 million plus transactions. It now can come all the way down in terms of lower pricing and simpler underwriting and eligibility rules to where a $10 or $15 million add-on can be insured with rep and warranty. I'm just curious, good, bad, or indifferent. Tell me about your experience with rep and warranty on any of, you, any of your deals.
1: Well, it, it certainly cuts down on the time that we are negotiating, right? Reps and warranty and indemnifications and, and, and other. Um, and I would say the likelihood of a deal blowing up over those issues is pretty high, generally. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you spent six months to a year working on a transaction and it comes down to reps and warranty, I think the beauty of reps and warranty insurance is that um, it puts, in some ways, it's, it's not that there's less diligence done no. around those issues or there's less concern, right? The concern is always there. What it does do is it puts, in some time, in a way, a middleman. In between you, us as the buyer and the sellers, so that everyone doesn't feel like you know both parties don't feel like they're trying to screw each other. Yeah, because that is you know there there's a high degree of skepticism on both sides around those negotiations.
0: Oh, and, and so yeah, that's that's natural, particularly because the timing. I would think yes, the sellers yes. they're never prepared for this, but they've just gone through. You know, and in, in you know, at yeah, best, an intrusive, uh, incredibly intrusive diligence process that nobody's ever prepared for. And then no. gone through that and they say, well, we've told you everything.
1: And, and then imagine that it's exponentially worse for a first time seller. When you say they're not prepared, that, that is really an investment banker's job, yeah. in my view, with a first time seller, is to make sure they are prepared as possible for the incredibly intrusive due diligence process that is is going to happen and continue to happen. And even with that, they're never prepared, yeah. especially with a first-time seller. And so then imagine getting to the reps and warranty insurance, or reps and warranty, not the insurance, but even before the insurance, the right? The, the negotiations around indemnification, yeah. indemnities, and reps and warranty. The beauty of that is it's, Having reps and in warranty insurance, one, I think, makes people less skeptical of each other. You have a third party really taking, a, you know, has seen everything um, is, it, and really has to underwrite that. I think the second is it, it, it certainly gives everybody more comfort that if anything goes wrong, we have this, in, you know, the insurance in place. Um, But I also think the reps and warranty insurance has required um, significant, you know, which is, I think, generally a good process for private equity firms is it does require a lot of third party due diligence, um, additional third party due diligence, which we probably should be doing anyway.
0: Suzanne, tell me, what's the profile of your ideal target now? What are you looking for?
1: So, companies that are uh, within, you know, uh, five, so our profile is five to 15 million of EBITDA in the um, consumer manufacturing or business services spaces. We have a lot of focus on manufactured products. So, we do consumer but not um, branded consumer. Really, it's more consumer B2B Mm -hmm. uh, products. And um, we like um, you know companies that are going through some type of i think we 're the best fit for companies that are going through some type of transition, so either a generational shift or um, where a company's like stifled to grow and and they have objectives to grow but really don 't you know know how to do it and then the um, you know some of the tenants that we really look for are a strong management team or leader within the management team uh that we can partner with and um a really uh, i would say and we we do diligence culture quite a bit so that they're the right cultural fit with our team
0: based on your recent successes this year uh, with the recognition from Win and, you know, uh, your status as one of the top women in private equity for the middle market. Um, I did have one other question for you. As as a father of two young teenage daughters, I, I am now more and more aware of opportunities for women in and around uh, not just private equity, but but mergers and acquisitions in general. And, I sense now, again, as a, as a father of two daughters, women are seriously underrepresented in M&A. And there are leaders like you that are coming through that are, I wouldn't say paving the way, but you're just showing excellence uh, in 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 this area. And I think nothing is more appealing than excellence and something that people can appreciate. And so I'd like to get your perspective of, you know, the trends that you see for the future for women in either in finance in general or M&A or private equity in particular?
1: So I, I'm very bullish about, you know, women and um, more, you know, women be having more leadership roles. Because I think part of, part of um, what we really need to do is make sure that, you know, women and people of color are represented in leadership roles so that the next generation see that and know that it's possible for them. And, um, and that we talk about it because there are differences, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a mother of three and, and that has challenges too, being a mother of three. And um, just like it is to be a father of three. And um, I know you have daughters, I have sons. Yeah. So I'm learning a lot about them. Uh, I've learned a lot about men, <laughs> You're having three boys. And I appreciate that very much. Um, and I, so I'm I'm really bullish. I think um, you know girls today are more confident. They um, they know they have a voice, and a lot of it has to do with their fathers and and men who make sure that they they know that right that they um, that they uh, they want to be more independent um and and i'm very fortunate i had a dad who never made me feel like i couldn't do anything the boys could do and so you know it's important not just for women to support each other um but men to support women and um i i've certainly will say like my whole career as you mentioned there were not a lot, there were not very many women um i i did not have a you know a lot of good experiences with other women because I didn't have them. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, they were mostly with, with men and, and I'm really fortunate that I had um, mentors, advisors, bosses, both men and women who were incredible champions for me. And so I think we have to continue to do that, right, for underrepresented people in general, but especially in, in, in industries where we, it's very clear they're underrepresented.
0: Well, I also believe that women, just people coming from different perspectives, but particularly women, there's a different skill set that you bring to the table, and and that diversity and different diversity and approach and everything avoids groupthink and gets you know other perspectives as you look at opportunities. And there are opportunities that could have been missed had it not been for different different uh, viewpoints.
1: And I think diversity is is um, you know you t- we talked a little bit earlier about trends right in, in the market, and uh, diversity is a is a trend. But I don't. It's not a trend to be trendy. It's a trend because the the um, the the statistics right and the um, it show that if you have a diverse board, they just companies outperform when they have diversity in their leadership ranks and when they have diversity on a board. So that's both gender and ethnic and experience. You can't have everybody thinking the same way. So I, I actually attribute some of you know a lot of our success at Kinsey really to that. And not because I'm a woman and you know I and I'm you know have an ethnic background, but more when you look at our entire team and you see the different experiences we've had. So me having grown up within the financial sector professionally, my partner who was a, um, you know, grew up in technology consulting and fixing companies, my colleague who came from a corporate finance background and and really worked inside a large company as an operator. Mm -hmm. You know, so, and then just the various backgrounds we have, we all bring very different perspectives that help us think through issues at any of our portfolio companies. And I've never operated a company before, except for Kinsey. Mm -hmm. And I was always a deal person. And so having those different perspectives on, oh, we have like accounting, you know, we have to deal with auditors or we have an accounting issue or we have to figure out how to make um, a project management software work properly so that it's communicating across you know this lower middle market company, because the larger the companies are, a lot of those things are fixed and they're set Yeah. because there's a lot of professionalism. So we're professionalizing an organization and it's very difficult to do that if you don't have different perspectives and experiences. So we really take diversity. Um, we think it's very important. Um, we know that it's important for results.
0: Well, I think the other element of diversity is you need to be flexible. You, you need to be able to be nimble and uh, not reactive, but proactive in every phase of operating a business. If you're set in your ways and, and you're monolithic, you're doomed to failure. Well, diversity is just one of those other elements there that's being brought to the table. And it's also, I mean, the thing about mergers and acquisitions to me is it is not one company buying another company. It is one group of people choosing using to partner and join another group of people. And the expectation is one plus one equals six. Uh, so, or whatever the Kinsey formula is for that. But one plus one Kinsey formula is going to go, you know, uh, a multiple. That's what it's about. And so this is just another part of the human element that comes in. So Suzanne, been very, very informative. Thank you so much for... Uh, joining us today and sharing your thoughts. And congratulations with you and Kinsey and hopefully the successes of 2020 come follow you into 2021 and COVID stays behind. Um, How can our audience members uh, reach you? How can we find you?
1: So we're all on LinkedIn and we actually are pretty um, active or we try to stay as active as possible on LinkedIn. Um, And um, also go to our website you know, uh, www.kinseycp.com. And um, you can contact us through there. And then we're all, we are also, our whole, whole team is, um, you know, accessible again on LinkedIn. Um, we have a Facebook account, we have a Twitter account. We try to do, we try to stay, you know, relevant. So um, we'd love to hear from you.
0: Well, Suzanne, it's an absolute pleasure. You have a good afternoon. Thanks again.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much, Patrick. Appreciate everything.